Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you make your music sound great. And with me, as always, is John Tidy from reaperblog.net. Uh, Jonathan, I trust you're keeping well. <laughs> Very well, thank you. Good old chap. <laughs> well done, well played. Uh, good, so this episode is called Compression versus Compression. Uh, and it's going to start out with some stuff that maybe some of you already know about and find a little bit basic, but then we'll kind of go off on some tangents that maybe uh, will explore some areas of the topic that you might not have considered before or might not know so much about. So what do I mean compression versus compression? I mean dynamic compression that you get by using a compressor that we all use in recording and mixing and mastering all the time, and lossy data compression. So MP3, AAC encoding. Um, and the, the reason for the episode is that I just see people still confusing these things all the time. and <laughs> It drives me mad. Uh, I'm guessing it's the same for you, John. Yeah, probably not quite as much. I think you seek these things out that make you mad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I seek them out. That's. Uh... But I do see the thing like, you know, never zip your master files or... Uh, you know, things like that. It's more for me, I, I guess it's because, you know, I'm paying attention to the streaming situation because of the way that the, the loudness management connects with the things that I'm interested in. So when people are talking about streaming music, you know, they're constantly confusing the data compression that happens in YouTube and Spotify and everywhere else to make the file sizes more manageable for people to, to listen online with dynamic compression. And actually, people confuse the loudness management. So there are people who think that YouTube is adding uh, dynamic compression to their music just because it either turns the loudness down or up, depending on how loud their song was to begin with. Um, and it, yeah, it just kind of drives me a bit wild. So I thought I would kick off with one of my, I don't know whether they're legendary yet, but I guess eventually they'll be legendary, um, analogies. I'm guessing most people listening to this understand the difference between data compression and dynamic compression, but you probably know somebody who doesn't, so maybe this will help you when you're trying to explain it to them. Um, and I'm going to explain it using sponges. Let's imagine you have a sponge and you squash it in your hand and then you release it. That is dynamic compression. You are changing the shape of the sponge to make it uh, fit into a different container, which is your hand when it is bigger or smaller. Uh, let's extend the analogy and imagine that you have lots of drain pipes. Uh, in fact, no, um, rain pipe, g guttering. Do you call it guttering over there? Um, Do you even know what I mean by yeah. that? It's the stuff that you put around the edge of the house that gathers the rain that comes off the roof, takes it into drain pipes down into the ground or to soak away or whatever. Yeah, I, I guess gutters. Mine, yeah. mine are full of bushes and... <laughs> trees and stuff. yeah my, yeah mine have, <laughs> mine have moss in the, the 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 birds kind of sit and they kind of flick so i'm sitting here and i see these blobs <laughs> flying down past the window which is the bird kicking the moss out anyway so that and let's imagine you have several different thicknesses of guttering so then you attach your sponge by some cunning method that i'm not going to specify i'll leave it to the imagination of the listener um to a thin rope put the guttering on the ground and you kind of connect them end to end so you have different widths of guttering going into each other. You put the sponge at one end of the gutter, 
you run the rope down through the gutter at the other end and then you pull on the rope. Uh, in fact, you probably wind it up on one of those things that your garden hose rolls up on uh, and the sponge moves along the guttering. And as it goes through the guttering, it gets squashed and it expands by different sections of the guttering by different amounts. And if you want to get really creative, you could get out a blowtorch and kind of melt bits of the guttering so that you have some places where there are smooth changes and some places where there are sudden changes. That's my analogy for dynamic compression of audio, right? The sponge is the audio. You're modifying the shape of it to fit into a different space in the same way that we use a compressor in audio to modify the peak to loudness headroom that it occupies. So, you know, a narrow piece of guttering uh, is something with, I don't know what the analogy of a threshold would be, but maybe a high ratio squashing the, the sponge down and then it expands as it moves into a wider part of the, the gutter pipe thing and it moves along. And the key thing about that is it doesn't change the sponge. If you switch off the compressor, your audio goes back the way that it was, unchanged. And if you take away the guttering, the drain pipe stuff, and pull your sponge along, it's just a sponge. Uh, no information is lost. All you're doing is modifying the shape of the sponge. So that's dynamic compression. Data compression is like cutting the sponge up with a pair of scissors into a ton of little cubes and then looking at what you have and trying to figure out which ones you need to keep to retain something that still looks like a sponge. So you keep all the bits that go around the outside edge of the sponge and you glue them back together till you have a sponge shape again, but it's hollow now and you throw all of the bits from the middle away. That is data compression. Um, it's compressed in that it takes far less information to store the shape of the sponge because you don't need any of the stuff that was in the middle that you couldn't see. It looks almost identical to the original sponge. If you look closely, you can probably see some, some imperfections where it's been cut up and glued back together. Uh, but it looks like a sponge. However, it's not changed its shape in any way. There's no dynamic compression going on. It's not being towed through the guttering. Uh, the, it's information compression. You've thrown away whatever it is, 80, 90% of the sponge, and you end up with something that still looks like a sponge. That's data compression. And the reason for the analogy is to point out the differences between them. So remember the sponge that's being towed through the guttering, the rain pipe stuff, uh, changes shape, but it's still completely intact. It's still the original sponge. All the information is still there. The sponge that has been chopped up and had the guts ripped out and then reassembled still looks pretty much exactly like a sponge. No dynamic changes have taken place at all. And the same thing is true of data compression and dynamic compression in audio. When the compressor is switched off, the audio it goes back to its original state. I guess if you bounce it out, that's another issue, but all analogies have their limits. Um, whereas the information that's thrown away when you make an MP3 file of a piece of audio is lost forever. You can never get it back. It sounds pretty much identical to the original audio, but it's different in very significant ways. I mean, you know, if you've ever tried to EQ, an mp3 file you will know that you can run into problems you know you think oh it's lacking a little bit of this region you kind of push the eq in and there's just nothing there it doesn't respond the way that you expect mm -hmm. um and if you can hear those artifacts the little bits of damage from cutting up a sponge and gluing it back together 
you know, the, the swirly high frequency stuff that happens with MP3 encoding, you can't get rid of those things. They're there, that kind of glassy, brittle top end feeling. It's there forever, but the dynamics are unchanged. So if you measure the dynamics of uh, a piece of music using my Dynameter plugin or your tool of choice, um, and then you MP3 encode it and you measure that, you will see they are virtually identical. Not necessarily absolutely identical, but very, very close. And that's the point of the analogy. If you're trying to explain this to your friends, uh, is when audio is data compressed for online streaming, it doesn't have a significant effect on the dynamics. It might have a small effect on the signal to noise ratio, but that's a different thing. Um, if you're not quite sure what the difference is, go back and listen to the episode, What is Dynamics? Uh, one or two episodes ago. And the same thing applies to the audio. If you use dynamic compression on audio, if you modify the dynamics, you change the shape of the waveform to make it fit into a different uh, amount of headroom, to make it louder, to make it softer, to shape, whatever, you haven't affected the quality of the audio signal at all, apart from the fact of whether you may or may not like the shape of it after the compression happens. And that is a matter of taste and a matter of skill. Do you think that was a good analogy, John? I, uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you got it beforehand, right? I did. I didn't know where you were going with it, but then about the six minute mark, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> Are you saying I have to, do we now have to data compress my, my analogy I, so that it takes less time? I think so. Or time scrunch know. it? That's, I don't know. Okay. So uh, who knows whether that will be interesting. Uh, my goal with these analogies for, is for them to be entertaining, at least. Now, where these things start to get interesting is that actually, well, no, before, before we go there, maybe we should just look in a little bit more detail as the differences between the two types of compression. So, Or, or could we start with different types of data compression or, or sure. common uses of it. Sure. Go for it. <laughs> All right. So uh, when you're transferring a file over the internet, often you put it into a zip file and that compresses it. It rearranges the data so it fits in a smaller space. Uh, but when it gets to the other side, when it's unzipped, it's the exact same file. Yes, that's a really good point. It's lossless, right? And so is FLAC compression that lots of people have come across yeah you know, for, typically for audio you only, flac can be used yeah you only get a we can use zip for audio as well but flac is optimized for audio it might give you slightly better results and of course there are players that can play those files directly mm -hmm. um and the yeah the the lossless thing is uh important you only get a kind of probably a two to one ratio with that type of, type of compression whereas something like ac3 or aac you, you might be 10 to 1 definitely or 3 to 1 for the for the higher data rates um and yeah no, nothing gets changed um and i think in one of the question and answer shows we had a question about this or we, we talked about this it's completely safe to transfer your audio that way providing the zip file makes it through in, intact and unzips correctly the audio should be pristine whereas the same is not true of lossy data compression um one little tangent since you mentioned it Something that drives me a little bit crazy is when people say that 16-bit audio, like WAV files and AIFF files, are lossy in some sense. Um, and what they mean is you have the analog world, which is theoretically infinite resolution, 
and you restrict it in terms of the bit depth and in terms of the sample rate, and it's therefore lossy. And that really bugs me because it's, I mean, technically it's incorrect. You know, lossy is now a technical term meaning data compressed in terms of perceptually coded, like MP3, to so trying to figure out what our ears can and can't hear and throwing away the stuff that we can't hear to create something that sounds almost identical to the original, whereas in terms of lossless, you have all the original data. But it's also misleading in the sense that providing you choose a bit depth and sample rate that's appropriate for the thing you're recording, so let's say for the sake of argument, or to avoid any possible uh, debate, let's go for 2496, there isn't, I don't think, any sound being produced that you can't capture in that format. Therefore, nothing is being lost or nothing uh, significant, right? Nothing that actually contributes to our perception of the sound in terms of or the electrical signal, if you like, after it's been captured by the microphone. Um, I mean, I would actually argue that 16-bit 44.1 is the same. People might say to me, oh no, you need 24-bit depth. Uh, in that case, they need to go back and listen to <laughs> the episode on dither. Um, but less for the discussion on dither than the idea that there's no such thing as a resolution in audio and our correctly working digital audio system will capture all of the available information it's just limited by the frequency content and the noise floor um, so i won't say any more on that but yeah anytime anybody tells me that wav is somehow a lossy format um, i have to grit my teeth and try not to go on a rant now <laughs> i'll be able to point them at this episode um okay so carry on yeah so we have we have zip you know that's a great format for data transfer zip or rar or seven zip or something like that is going to be the most most common practical uses that we're working with with audio where we're doing it ourselves and everything else is either done you know during the file transfer process by gobbler or dropbox or backblaze or you know whatever yeah, we, we transfer all like those that. kind of things yeah they're compressing it on their end but it's still lossless yeah so that and then the the other situation is is the lossy data compression where some kind of perceptual coding is being used um so yeah just to, to summarize the differences um lossy data compression you know mp3 aac ogvorbis all of these um reduce the file size whereas Dynamic compression, which you use in recording, mixing, mastering, all that kind of stuff, doesn't change the file size. Um, uh, all of the data is retained. You don't throw any of the sponge away. Lossy data compression doesn't change the loudness or the dynamics in any significant way. I mean, I, I guess if you go to really low data rates, then the the final representation of the audio is so low quality that actually you do start to see some some obvious changes in the in the sound of the audio and that might have a small influence on the dynamics but it, that if you use a high enough data rate or a high enough quality codec uh, it's not going to affect the dynamics and it's certainly got to, not going to affect the loudness or it shouldn't whereas dynamic compression does it's designed to do that and then the final distinction i guess is just to talk briefly about the peak level of the audio files Dynamic compression does change the peak level because it changes the shape of the audio. Uh, that's what it's designed to do. So that's kind of obvious. What lots of people don't realize is that uh, lossy compression, 
perceptual coding also can change the peak level. Um, it's typically in very subtle ways, but what you tend to find is you'll get maybe a dB or two of extra data. In fact, interestingly, I was just, well, well maybe not interestingly, but <laughs> recently <laughs> I was testing the latest Foo Fighters single, which is interesting because it has more dynamics than any of their previous releases. I'm really pleased that they've come out with, yeah, it's still not super dynamic, but it's a lot healthier uh, than previous albums. Um, so I wrote a blog post about that. That's picking up some attention. And I think that's a reflection of what we're seeing, all these things I keep talking about, is the loudness management and all the rest of it. Um, but when I was testing out the different versions of this, I got a little bit excited because it seemed like the YouTube version was even more dynamic than the other formats, than Tidal, for example, which is a, a lossless streaming service. Um, so it should sound identical to the CD unless they supplied different masters, which it seems that they didn't. But I got suspicious and I, I did a, a blind comparison between YouTube and Tidal after level matching them. And sure enough, I couldn't reliably hear a difference in terms of the dynamics. Uh, so then as an experiment, I used the Mastered for iTunes utility that allows you to preview AAC audio in real time um, that you have to use if you want to be a Mastered for iTunes certified mastering house at the standard iTunes quality, 256 kilobits per second, what they call iTunes Plus, I think, uh, I wasn't seeing any significant change in the peak level, and therefore I wasn't seeing any apparent change in the dynamics when I measured it with Dynameter. But when I reduced the data rate down to 128 kilobits per second and chose the streaming-optimized version, suddenly I did see a big change. In fact, uh, as much as one and a half dBs of extra peak information was showing up in the, the decoded AAC stream. Um, and that's simply because, I mean, you know, if you think about our poor old sponge, if you cut it up into 100 pieces and throw away 90% of them and then glue it all back together again, that's a pretty invasive procedure to perform on a sponge. And the same thing happens when you do lossy encoding on an audio file. They do literally filter the audio, they, they slice it up into frequency bands. And then those bands, the importance of each of those bands is assessed based on what else is happening at any one time. And they, they either throw a load of them away or they just encode them with lower quality or however they might, they might do it. So when you rebuild the audio signal from that, even though it might sound very close to the original, it's been butchered <laughs> in the process. So whatever peak level you had originally, um, is liable to have changed, which is why we see sometimes extra peak information in decoded um, AAC or MP3 files that don't actually reflect a genuine change in dynamics. So that was the uh, the last point I kind of wanted to make, distinguishing the two formats from each other. I actually have an article on audiogeekscene.com. Uh, I think it's called the coffee cup analogy to digital audio or streaming audio. Mm -hmm. And it's basically the concept of leaving a little bit of headroom when you're creating uh, your masters so that when you upload to SoundCloud or YouTube or anywhere, it has room to re-encode. And as a result, you have headroom for those peaks that are generated through that re-encoding process. Uh, so, so we always say one dB of headroom, true peak, right? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's a really good point. Um, 
In fact, we should include the link to that in the show notes on themasteringshow.com for anybody who wants to check that out. The actual analogy was, you know, when you pour your coffee, you leave some room for, for cream and sugar and to stir it. And if it's right up to the top, you don't have room to stir it. You don't have room to, to carry it to your desk or whatever. You know, that's the delivery of that, of your music. It, it needs I like that, it. You need that space so that... Uh, You've got sloppage headroom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's got to move around to get to your listener. So, you know. There you go. And the same thing is true of audio. Yeah, you need some sloppage headroom. Um, now, I mean, the 1DB thing is interesting because actually if you experiment with that iTunes um, plugin to, to test the AAC, what you'll find is that at the lower data rates, you get bigger changes in the peak level. Uh-huh. So if you want to avoid going over zero when the file is decoded, you need to leave more headroom going in. Um, so I think the minus one is a good rule of thumb. Well, and the other thing is the, the louder you push the source or the harder you push the loudness up against whatever your max peak is going in, the more likely it is to get extra peaks coming out. So let me just say that again. So let's say your loudness is around about minus 11, minus 12 LUFS, and you have a peak level of minus one. Those are the kind of numbers that I would recommend as being sensible for really pretty loud stuff these days. If you've got minus one dB sloppage headroom on that, you're probably going to be safe. You might get one or two peaks that go up above zero when it's decoded, but they're going to be very brief. They're not going to cause any problems. The problem is if, if it's if it's zero dB when you upload it, there's no room and it's going to be at like plus three. And it's going to be, it's going to be audible as well. Well, it, it could certainly be potentially be audible and it wouldn't necessarily be plus three. What I was going to say is if you, if, if instead you push the loudness much higher, so let's say it's uh, chili peppers loudness. Um, so it could be as high as minus four LUFS at some of the loudest moments. Um, even if you leave a dB of peak headroom uh, at the top of that, the decoded peak level is going to be going above zero. If you encode it right up to zero, as they have done on their recent albums, you could have peak levels of, yeah, as much as plus three or plus four dBs after the file is decoded. So summary of that is the higher you push the loudness against whatever peak level you choose, the bigger the decoded peaks after it's been encoded with a a lossy algorithm are going to be. So yeah, minus one is a good rule of thumb if you have sensible loudness levels. If you want to go much louder, you need to be doing some testing to make sure you're not uh, getting worse. Because as you say, if those peaks, if you have kind of affordable consumer gear that like an MP3 player, say, or, um, you know, probably a home streaming setup, chances are there's very little analog headroom in the system after the D2A converter. So if you've got decoded peaks that go up to plus three, you're going to have three dBs of extra clipping distortion on top of whatever happened when the file was going in. Um, So it really can make a a, a nice little mess of your audio. And that leads quite nicely into the other point I wanted to make, which is that, okay, so I spent all this time explaining how uh, dynamic compression changes the dynamics, but data compression doesn't. And sometimes it does. (laughs) (laughs) Except sometimes it does. But it really, the interesting thing is, 
the more heavy the dynamic compression is on the material being encoded, the harder it is for the encoder to get a good result. So actually, the dynamic compression can have an influence on the quality of the perceptual coding, the lossy data compression that happens. So, I mean, one example of that was that pops out in my mind um, was an album I did of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra plays Oasis, um, which is about as horrible as <laughs> the idea sounds. Um, you know, I'm. I did hear actually a, a symphonic. Oh, it's Peter Gabriel's um, New Blood album, right? That's that's him working with an arranger to create symphonic arrangements of some of his best ever tracks, and it actually is genuinely musically good and not nauseating. Um, it's kind of strange and startling and unusual, but in a good way. But pretty much every other example I can think of of pop and rock being played by a symphony orchestra is hideous. Um, and the Royal Philharmonic playing Oasis was no exception. But of course, so there you have the kind of the perfect storm in terms of challenging an MP3 encoder, because, well, let's just rewind slightly to back how the, the lossy encoding works. They slice the audio up into thin frequency bands, and then they analyze how important those bands are in terms of what we hear to recreating the original sound. If you have something that is kind of a sparse, open texture with lots of light and shade, lots of loud and soft, and kind of a nice arrangement where maybe some things will happen low down and then some things will happen higher up, that gives the lossy encoder plenty of room to work in terms of making clever decisions to keep it sounding great. Whereas if you have something like, a, say, a symphony orchestra or a choir, and yes, this album had choir on some tracks, <laughs> um, the, the frequency range is completely full, for one thing. And then if they're playing Oasis, or covers of Oasis, you know, who are famous for their kind of wall of sound, you know, they're just solid guitar riffs. If you think of a symphony orchestra emulating that sound, there's very little light and shade kind of the whole orchestra and choir are singing and playing all the time, all the way through. So, you know, poor little lossy compression encoder kind of slices it up and goes, well, I don't know what to do with this. How, uh, And it, it becomes very, very hard to get a high quality encode in that sense, particularly at lower data rates. And then you throw a mastering engineer into the mix who knows that Oasis are a really loud band. So, meaning me, <laughs> he pushes the levels up um, as loud as is, well, they weren't loudness more loud, but it was still loud for a symphony orchestra. And so it was, I didn't know about intersample peaking back then. This is 15 plus years ago, I guess. So it was peaking up near zero. Everything was full in the sound spectrum and the MP3 encodes, the testing codes we did sounded dreadful. Um, so that's another thing to bear in mind. You know, it's, people often think, oh, to test uh, whether an MP3 encoder is great or not, I should get some really audiophile jazz or, you know, kind of avant-garde orchestral music or, you know, something with lots of detail and all the rest of it. And actually, <laughs> the RPO playing Oasis <laughs> or uh, the Chili Peppers would probably be a better test material in order to tax that lossy encoder. 
Is that something you've come across? Have you, have you know, I mean, do you kind of do any MP3 encoding? Do you listen critically to the results or do you just kind of go, yeah, it is what it is and, and get on with something more interesting instead? Exactly. I, I, I don't really, I'll, I'll do like spot checks, like five seconds here and there throughout the, the thing before I uh, upload it. Mm-hmm. But I usually don't care that much. I know that the relative balances aren't going to change. It's still going to sound like my mix. And I always do a fairly high bit rate, 256 or 320 kilobits per second. So I know that it's not going to really change the mix. I just kind of check for glitches and things like that. That's cool. all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I, people um, kind of ask me to supply them with MP3 files, um, and I politely refuse. Um, you know, uh, I can't remember what the expression is, but, you know, basically life is too short. Um, but, you know, all of these companies, they're constantly updating the codex. Um, they're constantly improving on what they've done. They're changing the way things work. They're messing around with data rates. They're switching codecs completely, possibly, in terms of what, what a particular streaming service might su- supply to you. So basically, all bets are off. I think, you know, the best policy is just to get the the music sounding great going in, which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, also includes not pushing the loudness too high and not letting the peak level get too high. And then hope for the best in terms of what follows on. I don't mind doing the MP3 encoding. I just take my 16-bit 44.1 files, drop them into the XLD dock icon. Uh, XLD is a free media encoder, does lame encoder and some other ones. Um, but basically, once you set up the set the settings, you just drop a file into the dock. Yeah, it just spits out MP3s in the same folder. It's great. Now, I've had problems with lame in the past, um, and I think they were to do with the fact that I was too impatient to tweak the settings. So, for example, I think one good thing to do when you're doing MP3 files encoding is to do a, a, a high-cut filter to get rid of the super high-frequency stuff that we can barely hear. Um, mm-hmm because then the encoder doesn't have to deal with encoding that stuff, so it has more data bandwidth available for encoding the stuff that we definitely can here. Um, and personally, I quite like the encoder in iTunes, because it just does that for you, you know, in typical Apple fashion. It doesn't give you anything to tweak, you just get what you get. Um, mm-hmm. And I certainly know it includes that that sharp roll-off in the high frequencies. So whenever I've mentioned this, I always get lame fans kind of telling me, oh, no, you need to do this, 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 and this. And I, again, I get the whole kind of life is too short thing. Have you tweaked that? Yeah. Or does it have presets that kind of allow you to do that I, stuff I think in an easy way? There are some settings, but I, I don't tweak it at all. I think it's probably, other than changing the, uh, the bit rate, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably, I mean, if you're doing it at 320, you're not likely to get that many problems with that anyway. Nah. When you're doing an MP3, if you if your arms twisted and you have to do an MP3, do you do variable bitrate or constant bitrate? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, well, it's interesting because um, let me think. Try and remember this. My experiences with video encoding, which I did get heavily into when I was doing a lot more kind of Blu-ray stuff, especially. Uh, yeah, in theory, VBR is better. But in practice, I found if you wanted um, a no-brainer solution, you just used a high data rate CBR, constant mm-hmm. bit rate encode. So that would be where my instinct would lie 
with MP3 as well. Um, but then it's it's more it's more predictable. I think that the actual file size is is a little more predictable, and and with VBR you're kind of telling it to look for things to fix in a way. I've done. A, I have a blog post somewhere called MP3 Sucks, and uh, we could talk about what I think is slightly better in a minute. Maybe MP3, as far as I'm concerned, is not fit for purpose. I have heard. What I mean is, I think a really good perceptual encoding system, you should just be able to throw audio at it and at a respectable data rate, get something that sounds really good coming back. That's what happens with AAC, in my experience, in iTunes. You know, you rip a CD and even at 128 kilobits per second, it sounds okay. And at 256, it sounds pretty damn good. Not perfect, but definitely usable. Whereas I've heard 320 kbps mp3 encodes that sound atrocious um i've heard 128 kbps encodes that sound pretty good as well but again i just feel like that's to do with the limitations of the format and the maybe to do with the open source nature of the the codec i don't know where it comes from i just i just don't like mp3 but so and, and that's where i start kind of saying oh well, let's go for a higher data rate um and a constant bit rate so that you can be guaranteed that you're going to get decent results. But at that point, I start to think, well, what was the point of encoding in the first place? You know, the whole idea of these things is to save data bandwidth. And if you're getting a 10 to 1 compression ratio, like you do at 128 kilobits per second with acceptable results, like an AAC file, that is a worthwhile process. You know, being able to store 10 times more files is worthwhile. Or transfer them 10 times faster. Exactly. But if you're only going to get like a three to one reduction in terms of the, the file size. Um, that's not that much less than two to one, which you can get with FLAC, which is lossless. Um, so at that kind of, yeah. you know, at that point, I this is why I stopped caring because I just feel, you know, either do it and use something that does the job as well as possible or don't do it. Um, and yeah, so... I, I mean, you mentioned twisting my arm. I don't think anybody could twist my arm to supply them with MP3s. I get. <laughs> well, if what if they ask for AAC? No problem. Well, I just tell them to use iTunes in that case. Because um, okay. I mean, th this is the thing. Again, I, I mean, partly it's because I just feel it's money for old rope, you know. Um, because again, I'm sure there is a ton of research that I could do into the best possible encoding settings for this, that, and the other format, and then I could charge people a premium rate. To supply them with those files but the truth is if you have the latest versions of itunes and you do it at 256 kbps or even 128 to be honest you're going to get something that's perfectly acceptable and they might as well do that themselves and me not have to charge them extra money it's, it's not that i don't like making money but um because actually that kind of stuff that kind of work is a hassle you know you file naming and metadata and keeping track and making sure you use the right versions and you know all that stuff no, can't can't be doing with it. Life's too short. Cool. That seems like maybe a good place to leave it. Um, this was hopefully fairly succinct. I mean, we got down some fairly obscure tangential pathways there, as always. But um, uh, uh, we started off with the sponge thing. That was pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, look. I mean, people like what was the last one I did? The, there was the. The, the trees and the, the helicopter, the upside down helicopter to trim the trees. That was the first one for clipping, but there was one after that that was even more random. What was that? 
I can't remember. Anyway, people seem to like these things. I don't. I, when people tell me to stop, I'll stop with the crazy analogies. So, John, thank you for putting up with that nonsense as always and sorting out the little mess we made in the edit and doing the mixing. Um, everybody head over to reaperblog.net. John is experimenting with vlogging, video blogging. I've watched the first one. I really enjoyed it. Um, I haven't seen the rest yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing some more. Um, and while I'm on the subject, anybody who isn't watching Gildercam, Joe Gilder's vlog, should definitely head over there. He's just back from holiday. I'm excited to watch the first episode after, right after we finish recording this. It's a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, please uh, take a look at my site, productionadvice.co.uk. All the show notes for today's episode and all the other episodes are on themasteringshow.com. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends. Please go to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Thanks to Kaylee Law for uh, allowing us to use his music as always. And thanks for listening. So let's say, you know, it's kind of Skrillex kind of level, minus six LUFS. Oh, don't pick on Skrillex. Okay, you always pick on pick, Skrillex. Who should I pick on? Let's say it's <laughs> it, Chili Peppers. Am I allowed to pick on them? Yeah, sure. I don't like them.